All right, good morning. You know, I, uh, when I did that video now almost two months ago, looking forward to this day, the victory that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ is just incredible. And I'll tell you what, you know, we have a lot of big Sundays at Dorisville, and churches across America have a lot of big Sundays. But have you ever thought about this? Isn't it kind of cool that the biggest one is not Christmas, it's Easter. It's the resurrection. And your presence today, your presence today gives a glimpse of the understanding you have. Wait a minute. This is an important day. And it so is because of the victory that Jesus Christ won 2,000 years ago. We celebrate eternal life and the power of the resurrection. And I want to thank you for coming today. Like there's a zillion churches you could go to, but you came to Dorisville today. And I don't think you came because of the worship. You certainly come because of the speaker. You came, though, because of the message. And the message is he lives. He lives. He lives. How incredible is that? Now, over the last, again, like seven weeks and really probably eight we have been doing a, a study on uh, the model prayer, the disciples' prayer. You probably would be most familiar knowing it as the Lord's Prayer. And, and you might say, well, Dwayne, how exactly does that tie in with Easter? Well, the incredible part is, is the fact that the Bible is one incredible story. You know, last night we, we got home and, and I finally got around to sitting down in the chair and turned on the TV and went to Channel 3 heading toward Channel 12 because I think 12 had basketball on last night. But when I turned on Channel 3, there was Charleston Heston and Yule Brenner. And I was watching the Ten Commandments. I mean the old one. You know the old one? I'm going to be so disappointed if I get to heaven and Moses doesn't look like Charleston Heston. Yeah, but be really, really disappointed about that. But, but it caught my attention instantly. And so I said to my wife, she was in the kitchen, I hollered and said, Hey, Judy, it must be Easter. The Ten Commandments are on. And she hollered back and said, What's that got to do with Easter? I think they got it wrong. And I hard back her. I thought about it and said, it has to do with God. <laughs> but then, but then, but then, but then, as I thought about what I was going to say today, whoa, 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 whoa. Because you see, again, the Bible is literally a library of 66 books. But it has one message, one thread throughout the entire book, starting in Genesis and going to Revelation. And that is the great rescue. That's a story of God's incredible love for us and his rescue, his redemption through an old rugged cross and an empty tomb for us. So whether you whether it's the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, does speak of rescue, does speak of the deliverer, does speak about a blood sacrifice, all those things are there that are very Easterish. But the whole Bible is a story of redemption. But regardless, when you get right down to the last part... I would say buried, but, but that's not the right word. But tagged on to the end, and not a tag on either, is that last phrase that, that we get to today in the model prayer, the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer, and says this. Now, your translation may say something like this, deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one. It may say, protect us from the evil one. But I found in the, in the New Living Translation of the Bible, one that really stuck with me, and that is this. Rescue us. Rescue us from the evil one. And that's exactly what the story of Easter culminates in, God's great rescue for us. The, the word rescue is defined as this. 
to free or deliver from confinement, violence, danger, or evil. And whoa, that's so good. And so, so when Jesus said, when you're learning how to pray, pray that you might be rescued from the evil one. He had in mind that, that God would reach down and protect us and save us from the evil one. You know, five years ago today, well, not today, five years ago, August the 5th, down in Chile, an amazing thing happened. Um, August the 6th, they were supposed to have a safety meeting at that mine that they were in. And on August 5th, the ship supervisor kind of gave his story. He's talking about how he had been doing that for like 20, 25 years, and the mountain rumbled. And he really didn't, that didn't shock him too much because often the mountain rumbled. But then it rumbled a second time, and he knew they were in trouble. And yes, in fact, on August the 5th, 2010, 33 miners were trapped 2,300 feet underground. And it wasn't long before people simply gave up hope. They were, hope, they were drilling these holes down, hoping to find something that would indicate that they were alive or even they could redeem the bodies, rescue the bodies. It got to about day 16, and the Chilean president decided it was time to start thinking about a memorial, something to put on the site that would commemorate these 33 lives that were lost in the mine. So he started planning a giant cross to go over this site. And on day 17, one of, the, one of the drill plugs came up with a note attached that said, We are all alive. 33 men had survived, but they were 2,300 feet underground. And two months later, get that in your mind, two months later, through a wonderful rescue attempt, Every single man was brought to the surface. It cost, it cost 15 to 20 million dollars. And the president of Chile said every peso was worth it. Every peso was worth it. What a wonderful rescue story. But that pales, that pales from the rescue story that God wrote for us. Again, even before the foundation of the world was laid, he made a plan. He could look forward and see that we would fail one day. It all started with Adam and Eve in the garden, and we would fail, and we would be separated from him, and we would be a people that needed a rescue. And he made plans. And when, sure enough, Adam and Eve sinned, and he made that promise that there was a rescue coming. And millennia later, the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Dies on an old Roman cross like that because the Bible says that the wages of sin was death. And God in the flesh became sin on a Roman cross. And they put him in a tomb. And he'd already promised, three days later, I'm coming out. I'm coming out. And you know, when a guy can call his own death and his own resurrection, you just have a tendency to believe in him. And three days later, he arose from the grave. And so, and so that's the that's a rescue in, 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 a, in a thumb shell, a thumbprint. But look what he says: rescue us from the evil one, the evil one, you know, from from Satan. I know, I know, I know. You may be here today, you may be going, you know, I'm not sure I believe in that devil stuff. How could you not believe in that devil stuff? I mean, wasn't it just a few months ago that 130 people was it were shot to death in Paris? Now you can say, well, that's people, and some of you would be dare to say, well, that's a, that's a you know that's a, a, a radical a religion. No, look in the eyes of those shooters, and you'll see the face of evil itself. Did we not just see in Brussels 
where several dozen more were gunned down, were blown up by suicide bombers. Look in their faces of those shooters and those suicide bombers, and you'll see the face of evil. Wasn't just a couple of weeks ago here in Harrisburg when a life was tragically taken by, by an estranged husband? Look in those eyes and you'll see the face of evil. This week, did I not see where the wife of a concert pianist, go figure, goes into her own home and takes the life of her two daughters? Is that just crazy people? No, that's the evil that possesses this world. And it's proof that we need a rescue. And that rescuer is the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, the last part, when he says, rescue us from the evil one, you know, that was the plan he had, that people like us could be rescued and redeemed. And because the Bible is just like one continuous story, starting way back there and ending up way up there with one story about rescue, about redemption, we could go anywhere today and have an Easter message. And today I want to light, I want to spend our time in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, it's just an incredible story of how Jesus explains how he is the rescuer and how you and I can be rescued. Now, let me give you the big picture. The big picture is this. You know, Jesus was quite an incredible guy. They didn't know what to make of him. I mean, what do do you do with a guy who, first off, he starts claiming that he's God? What do you do with a guy he starts claiming that his father lives in heaven and that he's God in the flesh? You might be tempted just to blow him off and say he's a lunatic, he's crazy. But what if that same guy can take a blind man and open his eyes? What if he can take a guy who's been dead for like three, four days and resurrect him, bring him back to life? What, what do you do with a guy who, who could take a leper who's lost limbs? Things are gone. And he touches them and things grow back. You just can't blow him off. You just can't say he's a lunatic. In fact, I think one place in the Bible, you know, they were debating that and they're going, can a lunatic open the eyes of the blind? And the answer is no. You know, Jesus is the kind of historical and eternal figure that really you have to deal with. You have to determine what are you going to do with this rescuer, this redeemer? So he was trying to explain who he was and what he was going to do. And and he's talking. And the metaphor in John chapter 10, the illustration he's using is the fact that people are sheep and that he is a shepherd. He's the good shepherd. So that's the context. And so he's moving along, trying to paint a picture of who he is. And here's what he says in John chapter 10 and verse number 9. He says, get ready because you imagine you're there. And he goes, okay, I am the door. I am the door. <laughs> and the people go, door, door, door. I'm, you're, you're the door? <laughs> we, we are, you're a lot of things. We can't figure you out, but you're a door. And he goes, yes, I am the door. And it's just, just so full of meaning. Because if you go back to Charleston Heston being Moses, and back in the time of the deliverance, you know, back in those days when Israel was, was sla- in a slave nation, you know, and, and Moses goes back, you know, and he's talking to God, and God's talking to him, and he goes, okay, okay, you want me to go back to Egypt and rescue these people? Yeah, that's right. Okay, who should I say has sent me? Because <laughs> they're going to ask. They're going to say, okay, Moses, who sent you to be our deliverer? And God said, tell them I am have sent you. 
I am that I am. And when Jesus said, I am, there was all kind of ramifications there. They would flash back to a time when, when God's name was I am. And, and Jesus was like declaring, I'm God, I'm God. But not only that, I am the door. See, Jesus, the master teacher, would find ways to teach principles. Yeah, have you ever had something before? And you kind of go, what does it taste like? Um, it tastes like chicken. I mean, have you ever figured out how so many things taste like chicken? I still remember one day we had a Baptist men's dinner at our church in Cobden, and, and we're having this stuff, you know, and somebody brought rattlesnake. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And you know me and food go way back. I mean, I personally, you know, it's my first cousin. And, and, so, and so it was time to have the meal, you know, and it's Bob Bieber, Judy, you know who he is. These folks don't. But Bob Bieber brought the rattlesnake and fried it up. And, you know, he, I said, well, what is it? He goes, it's rattlesnake. What does it taste like? Chicken. You know, amazingly, when we don't know what to say, something it tastes like chicken. Well, you know, Jesus being the master teacher would take metaphors. <laughs> and it wasn't chicken. You know, well, one time he said, well, I'm, I'm the bread of life. You know, you eat, you eat, you know, you, you receive me and take me. You never hunger again. I'm the living water. You, you drink of me and you never thirst again. I'm the light of the world. If your world's dark, I can bring light. He was such a great teacher at bringing these different metaphors in for people to understand who he was. And that's what he does here. He goes, well, behind the door. You know, doors grant access. But, but here's what you need to understand. It's not like door. It's not like door. Here's the picture. They would take and pile brush, brush up around like this. Remember, because the metaphors were in a sheep teaching session here. So he would, he would take brush. They would take brush and build it up and leave one opening. And the brush would be like this, this tall. And all the sheep would be herded into this enclosure. And the shepherd would lie across the entrance. And what it meant was, if the sheep are going to get out, or if someone's going to get in... They've got to go over the shepherd. So when Jesus says he's the door, that's the metaphor. That's the picture. He says, this is the sheep enclosure. And if you want to get in, I'm the door. I'm the door. I'm the way. I'm the access. You've got to be careful. Listen, in this world, you've got to be careful. Because doors can look alike. Have you ever been in the parking lot before? Well, this just happened to us recently. I will tell you which one of us did this. But we were walking toward a blue van. And all of a sudden realized it was a blue van, but it was not our blue van. Have you ever reached up and grabbed the handle and the alarm go off and go, oops, wrong car? Have you been in a hotel before and you rattle the door and someone comes to the door that you don't know? See, doors can look alike. In this case... There's one door in particular that, that people want to go through and they think it's the access. It's not. It's that religious door. That going to church or being a Baptist or being a Methodist or doing good stuff. All those things we want to say that's the door. No, 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 no. Jesus said, I am the door. In fact, here's what he said. In John 14, 6, he said, I am. There's no I am statement. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And here's what he said. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
He said, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you ultimately want to have a home in heaven, there's only one door to go through. There's only one shepherd you need to step over. And it's not religion and it's not church. It's not keeping the rules. Although that's what you hear a lot. It's Jesus. It's the man who died on the cross. It's the one who loved us so much, he died on a cross. You know, literally the word slaughtered comes to mind, and that's not an excessive word. He died for us. He resurrected for us. So you see, you, might, you may be sitting there going, that sounds a little narrow to me. Well, look what he says. I am the door, and if anyone, I love that. Have you heard people say that? The problem here, they'll point the finger at you. The problem with, they get, you know, a little gaudy sound. The problem with Christianity is that it's so narrow because people believe only Jesus can get you to heaven. That would be pretty narrow except for one thing. It's, you're right there. If anyone. See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you can only go to the Father through Him, but the door's open to anybody. If, if the most perfect little lamb walks up to the door and goes over the shepherd, bah, he goes in. If here comes a, here comes a little lamb, he's kind of ratty looking. Goes to the door, bah, he's in. And here comes the black sheep. Y'all got one of those in your family? I mean, one that breaks all the rules? If he's willing to come and go through the shepherd, he's in. See, God doesn't care if you're rich or poor today. He doesn't care if you drive a BMW or a 1962 Rambler painted royal blue with a yellow racing stripe like I did in senior high, as a senior in high school. He doesn't care you know, if you're black or white, green or yellow. He doesn't care if you count yourself as way big black sheep or you think you're pretty good. The door is open to any person who will come through the shepherd. That's not narrow. That's why. I don't know of another religion that says that. There is one way. But that way is open to everyone. And it's so cool. Because again, those of you who know me know I'm one of them imperfect preachers. You know? Because, you know, because sometimes we think there's a giant scale. You've got to really keep the rules. There are no rules that will get you to heaven. The Bible says, for by grace, God's unmerited favor, you have been saved through faith and not know yourselves as the gift of God. So, so Jesus says, I'm the door, I'm the access, and if anyone enters by me. Well, what does that mean? I know if it's a real door, on this kind of door, see that door right there? On that door, you hit the crash bar. Even if the door is locked, that crash bar will open it. Now, if you go over there and you see a doorknob, in order to get that door open, you have to turn the handle and get in. So if Jesus is the door, how do you enter? How do you enter? It's wonderfully simple. It's wonderfully simple. The Bible says that, one, we have to agree with God about our sin. The Bible says everybody's sinned. You know, look at the person on your left. Yep, they're a sinner. Uh, go ahead and look to the right. You're looking at your husband right now going, I know you're a sinner. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, guess what? We've all sinned. Everybody, everybody is a sinner. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that do it good. There's none that seek that God. Those are all things that God's word says. We've all sinned. And we've got to agree with God because when you admit to God that you're a sinner, 
then you're admitting to God you need rescue. The only, see, the problem is a lot of people go, not me. I don't, I've got it together, God. You don't. You don't. You need a rescuer. And the rescuer is Jesus Christ. So, so we agree with God about our sin, and we agree with God about Jesus. You know, the Bible says, and we're going we're to get out on time anyway. How about that? Don't ever, preachers never promise early. But we believe that Jesus left the splinter of heaven and was born a virgin. That's the Christmas story. You heard that one? That's the Christmas story. And that he lived a perfect and sinless life. He began a public ministry when he was 30 years old, and it lasted for three years. And during that time, he made these amazing statements. I'm the door. He healed people to show his power and his authority. Different things happened. And at 33, the schedule came. The time came for him to die. If we get there in time, I'll show you about that and how that all happened. So at 33, they arrested him, put him through a mock trial, and they put him through the most gruesome death possible, the crucifixion. And I don't have time and won't take time today to describe that, but Google it. Get on and see what a Roman crucifixion entailed. That's why the word slaughter, what I used even last night, the magnificent slaughter. Magnificent because he did it for me. Slaughter because it's exactly what it was. He shed his blood that we could have forgiveness of sins. Believing that he was the rescuer, that he died for us, and that they did put him in a grave. They did. And on the third day, he came back to life. Historical fact. Listen, you go find Muhammad's tomb, it's there. He's there. You go look at George Washington, he's there. Whatever religious leader you choose, he's there, he's there. Jesus Christ, again, is the only one who predicted his death, predicted his resurrection, and pulled it off. The tomb is empty. It's just a fact. It's a fact. Why do you think they judge the calendar on the fact of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Why is there a before Christ and after Christ? Because it's the greatest event that happened in human history. How do you know that's true? Let me ask you a question. Why would 11 guys, and really more than that, but we'll pick the 11. Judas is out of the picture. But why would the 11 ultimately die for a falsehood? Come on. Men die for truth. They don't die for lies. They had nothing to gain by lying about Jesus and his death and resurrection. If they stole the body... There was no riches. There were no rewards. He was the rock star, but he's dead. Now they're on the most wanted list. Why would they do that? You know why they did it? They were witnesses. They saw it, and it was true. He lives. He lives, and he lives. Believe that. And then be willing to turn from your sin and follow Christ. In other words, commit to following him. It's simple, but that's how you turn the doorknob. You know, you recognize the fact that you need a rescue, that Jesus is the rescuer. You turn from where you are now to follow Christ. That's it. Do you know this church isn't mentioned? Nothing else is mentioned because, again, Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. So he says, if anybody enters by me, what will happen? They will be saved. They will be rescued. <laughs> my, my grandson, Ethan... Is kind of to the age where he's asking questions about Jesus. And so we, his dad had a discussion with him and um, gave him a little book to read to help kind of explain and, you know, solidify it in his mind. And so we were sitting there the other day, just me and him, and I kind of said something like this. I said, so Ethan, 
are you doing your homework? You know, the little book. And he said, no, I don't understand it, Papa. I said, is your mom and dad helping? And they said, well, son, all right, you guys need to get on the stick. Okay? So help them understand more. All right? Just, just, you know, just a little public knowledge there. All right? And so then I said, well, well, tell me this. I said, so who is Jesus anyway? He thinks a man. He goes, well, Jesus is God. I said, bingo. That's exactly right. Jesus was God. So, so what happened to him? He died on the cross. I said, bingo. Exactly right. That's what happened. So, so why did he do that? He thought him in and said, hmm, to save us. I said, man, for a six-year-old kid, you've got good theology. What, what seminary did you go to? That's great. So I finally said, so what does it mean to be saved? What do you save us from? He said, the bad guys. <laughs> he ain't too far from the truth. <laughs> Jesus was God. Jesus did die for us. He didn't save us from, from bad guys necessarily, but he did save us and can save us from the bad guy and that sin and death in the grave. Just telling you. I'm just telling you. And, and we can go in and out and be saved. I love this in and out thing. There's liberty. Because I know, I know, I know. You've been raised in a church like I was raised in a church. And knowing Jesus was anything but liberty. You couldn't go to the movies. You couldn't dance. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. You know, Christianity was about what you couldn't do, not what you could do. Does that sound familiar to anybody? But Jesus comes along in this story and says, you can go in and out. See, knowing Christ is the most liberating thing there is. Now, religion is not. I'm going to give you that. In some ways, church is not liberating. But again, God never said that was the way. Knowing Jesus is liberating. Listen, listen. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now, now Paul wrote a letter to a church in Corinth. That's what's called Corinthians. And here's what he says. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. Yeah. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's freedom. There's freedom. Jesus said in John 8.32, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then later in verse 36, he says, So if the Son of Man sets you free, you will be free indeed. Being a follower of Christ is not bondage. It's freedom. It's freedom. In fact, listen to this. This is Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. You probably know this verse from somewhere. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Anybody here weary and carry heavy burdens? Oh, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Look, we believe this is, this is God's word. We believe this is God's word. And this book is not about putting you in chains. It's about breaking the chains. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, trust me, as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, Christ wants to set you free today, not put you in chains. So I hope today there's more, but we won't go there. We're going to get you out on time today. There's more to the story than we could tell in a thousand sermons or more. Oh, I just got finished one part. Because later on he goes, he goes, I'm the good shepherd. You know, continue that shepherd motif thing. You know, I'm the shepherd. But you know what he says at the end? This is so cool. 
He says, you know, a good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. And that's just what he did. This is verse 17 and 18 in John 10. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus did. But here's what I love. He says, I have power. I have authority to lay my life down. And I have authority to pick it up again. And what he he's what he's saying is is this was no accident. This was like a, this was not an oops. This is not where was God when I needed Him. This was like a divine plan. And he said, "I have authority to lay my life down on the cross." The Bible says he cried out, "It is finished. It is done." And then he yielded his spirit. He willed himself to die. I have. Power, I have authority to lay my life down, and I have power and I have authority to pick it up again. And on Sunday morning, he picked it up again. Now I don't know, I don't know what you call your God. I don't know who you worship. Everybody worships something. But but again, a man who can will his life down and will his life back up again is the kind of God I want to follow. And that's what this all is about. Now, I'm hoping we've given you today through the music, through the worship, through the specials, through the word, a taste of what God wants to do when he becomes your rescuer. He doesn't want to put you in bondage. He wants to set you free. He, he wants you to know that he paid the price, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He wants you to know today it is not in a denomination. It is not in a religion. It is through a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now we end every service, and I know this is a huge crowd, and you might be going, there ain't no way I'm walking in front of 550 people or 600 people, how many people's in there? Ain't no way. Okay, that's cool. Because here's the deal, you don't have to here. But we end our service every time with what we call decision time. And we'd like to give you the opportunity, if you want to, to come. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front here. We've got some folks who'd love to talk with you. If today's the day, if all of a sudden you're feeling this, Inside, you're going, "Mm -mm, today's your time. I'm calling you. I want you. Let me be your rescuer. And you don't have any choice. 500 people or not, you're coming. That's what this is about. I mean, if you're feeling that, come on down. But hey, this this isn't the only time. Uh, We three guys are going to be hanging around. I'll be back there at that door. We'll take time. We'll talk after the church. You may have more questions. I don't have all the answers, but I've got some. I've got some. Hey, and my number is 499-0070. Let me repeat again. 499-0070. Call me this week. I would love to tell you more about how God wants to be your rescuer. It's the most incredible story in human history and human future. Is that God loved us so much, he sent his son Jesus to die and resurrect again on the third day. Lord, rescue us from evil the evil one. Let's pray. God, thank you so very much for the privilege of sharing these wonderful truths today. God, thank you for every person that you've sent our way, because I believe it's not by accident that folks are here today. It's not by accident that people are listening on the radio this morning, that you've chosen this assembly for them to hear the greatest truth there ever could be, that you want to rescue men and women, students and children from death and sin and bondage, from being eternally separated from you. You want to rescue them. Thank you, Jesus, for that Black Friday. Thank you for the day when you were slaughtered on a Roman cross. 
all for us. That you became sin, that we could become the righteousness of God. That all the wrath for the payment of sin was poured out on you. And they laid you in that cold, dark tomb. On the third day, you rose to prove that you are the rescuer. Holy Spirit, I believe it's you who draw people to the Savior. It's not a personality. It's not a man's voice. It is you. So would you please, Holy Spirit, do your sweet work even right now. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.